These are the daily lectionary comments for December 21st. Going to look at Isaiah 42. We are going to be introduced to two uh, servants, one perfect servant of the Lord and the other failed servant of the Lord. And then we're going to look at Revelation chapter 9, a terrifying vision uh, uh, brought on by the fifth trumpet. All right, in Isaiah 42, we are introduced for the first time to a, uh, an interesting enigmatic figure uh, that will appear in four and maybe five different uh, songs of Isaiah. Uh, and this, this figure that we're talking about is called the servant of the Lord. And he, he is an individual, an individual that God is calling and specially equipping. And we will, but he's not named. But as we go along, well, we Christians will realize who it is that Isaiah is talking about. And at the beginning of Isaiah 42, we are introduced to the servant of the Lord for the first time. We will see him again in chapter 49. We will see him again in chapter 50. We will see him again in chapter 53. Um, and then possibly again in, in chapter uh, uh, 61. But uh, here, this is how it begins. Isaiah chapter uh, for and so okay, we 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 are introduced to this uh, servant. Then we are also introduced to another servant. This is a failed servant. This is one who was called to do what the servant of the Lord is going to do, but who failed to do it. So, the servant of the Lord, verse one says, "Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights." This was one of two passages that is, is uh, uh, quoted by God himself at Jesus' baptism. When he talks about uh, my son in whom uh, I delight, he's referencing uh, both Psalm 2, which talks about uh, the, 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 the son of God being the king reigning in Jerusalem, and also this passage here, the servant of the Lord. Jesus, in other words, was announced by the father as the servant king. So he's a king according to Psalm 2, but he is the Lord's servant according to Isaiah 42. And think about this next line, I have put my spirit on him. That makes good sense when you think about what was happening at Jesus' baptism. So behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit on him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now this sounds an awful lot like the Messiah. This sounds an awful lot like the child who was born and the son who was given and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Look at verse four. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Okay. So uh, the word of the Lord that will come from Jerusalem, uh, there, the coastlands, the ends of the earth, the Gentiles are waiting uh, for this. I want you to look at verse 6. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. So, again, this servant of the Lord uh, is, uh, he is to be given as a covenant for the people. He's not making a covenant. He is the covenant. And that is fascinating. He's making a covenant for the people and a light for the nations. Think about uh, um, Simeon's uh, song in the Nunc Dimittis. Uh, uh, 
uh, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. That was what Simeon sang about the infant Jesus when Joseph and Mary brought him into the temple. Also, this servant of the Lord will be opening the eyes of the blind. Okay, well, we've seen that before. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened? Then will the ears of the deaf be unstopped? Later on in, uh, uh, in chapter 61, it'll talk about uh, bringing the prisoners out uh, of prison in, in, uh, uh, in the year of the Lord's favor. Verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. So Isaiah is looking at a brand new sort of order, a brand new creation, uh, uh, really. And so we're seeing Isaiah describe what you and I would call the new covenant, uh, the new covenant in, in the blood of Jesus, Jesus himself being the very covenant, the Lamb of God given uh, for, for the people. So that is the servant uh, who is the faithful servant. This is the one who will do what God actually uh, wishes to be done in the world. Look at verse uh, 18, and here we have another servant. This is poor Israel. Poor Israel is being castigated here uh, uh, because they have been called to do the very same thing that the servant of the Lord was called to do, but they haven't done it. So this is what it says. Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant? This is very sarcastic. Who is deaf but as the messenger whom I send? So I sent you, Israel, yet you don't listen to my words. You're supposed to be a light to the nations, but you yourself are blind. Who is blind as my dedicated one? Or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but he does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Now, the Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and to make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. So in other words, God gave to Israel his law. And it was his desire, the law of Moses. And it was his desire that this law and the name of the Lord should be exalted in all the earth. And the people of Israel to, were to be his servant to accomplish that. Instead, here they are, plundered, plundered sent off into exile, beaten up, and all of this. Well, why is that? Because they have failed to be the servant of the Lord. And so we have here contrasting vision. God has a servant. Israel was called to be the servant. Israel failed in that calling. Then Israel is being replaced by a servant who will do the will of the Lord. It is an important piece of theology to understand that Jesus, in many, many ways, uh, is, is understood in the Scripture to be Israel reduced to one person. All of Israel turned out to be faithless and could not do for the world what God needed to be done. So Christ himself comes as a representative of all Israel, as God's own son himself, as God himself, and he will do for the world what Israel was not able to do. He will assume the responsibilities of the covenant, and he will cause forgiveness, light, and salvation to be extended to the ends of the earth. This is what Israel was called to do, but they were blind and deaf. This is what um, uh, Jesus of Nazareth came to do. And for this reason, God poured out on him his Holy Spirit. All right, in Revelation chapter 9, 
uh, we get to the fifth trumpet. We've had the four trumpets. We just looked at the four trumpets. And that is essentially talking about various uh, natural and man-made catastrophes that would fall in this world that God would permit to happen or strike at himself in order to call people to repentance. This fifth trumpet is more terrifying. As bad as that is, it says um, a fifth, uh, fifth angel blew his trumpet and a star uh, fallen from heaven and was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened. Verse uh, three, and from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions over the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. The other four bowls, you realize, uh, trumpets were all uh, sort of natural disasters that were just causing wreckage on the earth. This, these locusts are not to go after those. Uh, they're going to leave the earth alone. But only those uh, people who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. Remember the 144,000, okay, symbolic of the entire uh, church. All those sealed with baptism into the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are these locusts? Well, they come from the bottomless pit and they come out into the world. And when the locusts are described, of course, they're horrific things. They're not just little insects. They're little demons. And so what we have described here is not another natural set of natural catastrophes. God's striking the world with natural catastrophes. But now it's the hordes of hell that are being unleashed upon the world. You shouldn't imagine that you'll see these things flying around. These are, these are demonic forces. They are not flying around and they do not look uh, like, uh, like uh, little insects. They are pictured as locusts because they are so many in number. But what you need to understand about this particular vision is that we are moving from sort of physical uh, catastrophes and problems and troubles in the world to a great deal uh, of horrifying spiritual uh, oppression and problems. So in other words, that demons are going to be bringing about pain and trouble in the world uh, during the last days, these locusts uh, from the depths of hell, from the bottomless pit, um, uh, so this is another dimension of, of the, the, the horrible uh, situation in which this fallen world uh, finds itself. Look at verse 11 says, they have a king over them, all these locusts, and they, uh, uh, over the, the angel of the bottomless pit. Well, of course, this is Satan himself. Uh, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction. And in Greek, it's Apollyon. Um, okay. So, so the, this is a, a dreadful, another aspect of God's judgment on this world that demonic forces are permitted to roam about. Now, it says it torments people for five months. And one of the things that that might be referring to, uh, and, and we'll see later on that uh, the, the end times will be very generally divided into uh, uh, to a longer period of time and a shorter period of time, like 42 months or, or uh, three and a half days uh, or a thousand years and a short time. And here we have uh, these locusts that are plaguing people for five months. Why five? I don't know what the significance of five necessarily is, except there's the sense that it isn't all the time, that there will be a period 
when there will be an extra amount of demonic activity in the world. Um, presumably, this will be um, the, the short period of time toward the, toward the end, just before Jesus comes again. I'm saying more here than I can prove, but it, it seems that way. This fifth trumpet is clearly telling us that there is a spiritual dimension to the troubles in the world uh, as we will experience it in the end times. Um, it is the fifth trumpet uh, that is announcing these sorts of things. Uh, and that uh, the fact that it, it occurs for five months uh, perhaps indicates that it, it won't be a constant barrage of, of, of sort of heightened demonic activity. But maybe we can expect that near the end, near the end, there will be a heightened amount of demonic activity. Let me point out that that doesn't mean that this is going to be like a horror movie in Hollywood. There is a great deal about our current world that is very, very demonic. And rather than think of locusts swarming over the world, stinging people and causing all kinds of horrible, horrible pain, rather we should understand that demons work much more cleverly than that and oftentimes do just the opposite of what you would think horrible creatures like this would do. In other words, these demons might be making people happy and satisfied and turn their, their vision away from God, or that these demons might be helping uh, or, or keeping people from reacting to the trumpets the way they ought to. In other words, disasters are happening, and rather than flee to the Lord for safety and refuge and crying out, have mercy upon me, O Lord, these demons may be blinding the eyes of people and causing them to turn to idols or turn to other things or completely to misinterpret uh, these things. How much of our current um, uh, modern mindset just doesn't see God's activity in anything? Whatever happens in the world is just chance. It's just nature. It's just bad things sometimes happen. And what can you do about it? And rather than being called to repentance, the people just go on uh, uh, with whatever they were doing, seeing no connection between their idolatry and, and their moral perversity and the kinds of, of, of judgments and troubles that we bring upon ourselves in this world. Well, that very much can be demonic activity. No, it's not scary. No, there's not fangs and blood and all of that. Actually, from the point of view of those who are lost in it, uh, it might seem quite comfortable as these demons lull us into a sense of security and peace. Um, so depending upon your point of view, um, these things might seem quite welcome. But if you understand things for what they really mean, that these things are in the earth, um, uh, not because people have suddenly become very civilized and suddenly seen the light uh, of, of the truth of, of uh, you know, atheism, but in, and, and are now going to live happily ever after. Uh, uh, instead, uh, to see the things properly, we would see that actually this is the darkness of the devil himself that is descending over the world. And that's what's being pictured here in the seventh trumpet. It is a terrifying image.